We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Stephen Ritz, founder of Green Bronx Machine and self-proclaimed CEO, Chief Eternal Optimist of Bronx County. With 20 plus years of experience as an educator and administrator, Stephen believes that students should not have to leave their community to live, learn, and earn in a better one. Stephen has spent most of his professional life helping move generations of students into spheres of personal and academic successes that they never imagined. While reclaiming and rebuilding the Bronx, Stephen's extended student and community family have grown more than 165,000 pounds of vegetables while generating extraordinary academic performance and living wage jobs. In the process, he moved school attendance at Community School 55 from 40% to 93% daily. Stephen, you were a speaker at WOBI, which is World of Business Ideas, this conference that I attended in 2015. There were many renowned speakers and thought leaders there, and the only one that got 100% standing ovation is you. You have made a lasting impact on my heart and my mind, and what I appreciate most about you is your passion, energy, generosity for your students, your community, and our world. You epitomize we grow when we give. Warm welcome to ROG, Stephen. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is a great welcome. And I need you to write a letter to Chris Stanley at Wobie because I'm trying anxiously to get back. Um, I would love to return. So if you could do that, that would be the biggest blessing of all. And it's remarkable because Wobie is one of my favorite events of all time. Yeah, it was fantastic. And like I said, there there are speakers that, and, if, and I didn't want to mention them because you outshined them, but I think that you just won over everybody's hearts with what you're doing and your encouragement that all of us can make a difference is something that, again, it has, it has stayed with me. You have to start in order to be great. And where you stand is the most important place you are right now. So that's what it's about. I, I, listen, there are amazing speakers at Wobie. I think what resonates with people is my authenticity because my authenticity is my advocacy and my advocacy is my authenticity. And each and every one of us have the ability to be what I call an accidental success. <laughs> right on. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about Green Bronx Machine, what you do, why you do it, and what, you know, what are some of the ways in which you've seen this generosity really grow? So I like to say at Green Bronx Machine, we grow vegetables, but our vegetables grow students, our students grow schools, and our schools grow happy, healthy children and resilient communities. And that is literally what it is about. It's about taking schools that are in underserved and I also say uh, overexploited for many reason communities. And instead of waiting for the man on the white horse or for Superman to come in, it's really about giving agency, belief and identity to children in a world that is driven by transactional mindsets. This work is about passion, purpose and hope and showing up daily. 
and the belief that we are the ones that we are waiting for. So it is 100% mission driven. Um, you know, we are still a teeny tiny organization. You know, you're going back 10 years. The organization is doubled in size from me to me and my wife. Um, so it's two people still, two people at the heart of this. I remain an unpaid volunteer and I'm committed to do so. I'm doing so simply because I believe it's not about enterprise building, but generating impact. And I want to be very disruptive in the nonprofit space. And I believe, you know, we can't nonprofit ourselves into prosperity. And while every nonprofit organization is doing amazing work, there is so much duplicity, there is so much replication, there is so much enterprise building that often the mission gets forgotten. So for us, the heart of what we do is, is the mission. The heart of what we do is the work. There's no development team. There is no media team. There is no marketing team. Um, it is just impact-driven work. And remarkably, you know, we've grown from a teeny tiny organization to a top 10 health and wellness program in America, you know, from disruption to delivery, which is really rather remarkable. 675 high-performing schools across some of the most marginalized communities in America and in six nations around the world, we are also using a Tom's model of buy one, get one free so that communities of wealth and privilege can also benefit from our expertise while bringing another school along with them. And to me, that's really what we want to do. Mm, that's fantastic. And congratulations on the Social Innovation Award that you won through Classy. And I just love the amount of exposure you have received and your partnership with Mayor Eric Adams. And there's just so many things that you're doing that's gaining exposure. But for our listeners who are not familiar with your work, can you talk to us about Community School 55 and your students and really what led you to this innovation? Sure. So again, I am an accidental success. I keep falling up the ladder of success. I come to you now from CS55, which stands for Community School 55, which is an elementary school in the middle of public housing in the poorest congressional district in America and the least in the poorest performing school district in New York City and the least healthy county in all of New York State. So I like to say, you know, the Bronx in many ways is first in everything bad and last in everything good. But never let us forget the incredible grit and resilience that we have here. Um, and that's really what this is all about. People power. So this program started back then with overage undercredited children. I'm thinking back 10 years ago when I had what, you know, the, those children who were often sent to me via second and third party relationships, whether it was foster care, or the, the criminal justice system, the probation department, and literally found a way to move those older people or those older children, if you will, those disconnected youth from being apart from success to being a part of it in ways that generated a phenomenal amount of ad value for everybody, including living wage jobs for those students who were most affected. Um, today, you know, 10 years later in my own epiphany, and you was the Wobi that I did, I was a skinny guy then, or was I still a big guy? You were thin. Okay, <laughs> I had just lost the weight, but you know, my own odyssey as a lifelong Bronx resident has gone from being a professional caliber athlete with a 45 inch jump to one who had a 54 inch waist by the time I was 40 years old, simply by eating what was in my community. So my own health crises has evolved, which brings me to the point that it's simply easier to raise healthy children than fix broken men. And after seeing the way this work resonated with the most disconnected youth, 
it dawned on me that, wow, I should be working with little kids and getting them on the trajectory of the best health possible. You know, guys like Seth Goldman have taught me that if you start with young children, you change the trajectory of their taste buds and expectations forever. So it's much harder to get older kids off junk food. It's much harder to replace bad habits with good habits, but it's easier to build good habits upon good habits. So in this classroom, in a 110-year-old building, a non-ADA-accessible building, in a classroom that we built ourselves, we have vegans. You know, we have kids who are plant-forward. We have children who are growing food for cancer patients. We have children who are the next generation of social and environmental justice warriors. We have children who are boycotting um, businesses that don't really build value in our community, but rather extract from it. So it has become a remarkable undertaking. And of course, with the fresh food boom, now you add in food crises, inflation and food insecurity, the ability to grow your own food with 90% less water and 90% less space in a classroom year round, regardless of seasonality, is literally a license to print money. You know, just last month, or just last spring, we put in a farm at Yankee Stadium. So for those of you who are going, it's in section two, by the VIP section, come down, take a look. And that produce is gonna become part of a virtuous cycle that will not only provide healthy food at the stadium, but generate revenue and continue to grow programming and awareness for kids in the communities who need it most. So it's an incredibly exciting time. I like to say from hope, to the Pope, I got to meet him. And from our little greenhouse to the Obama White House, not once, not twice, but three times. So it has really been an incredible opportunity, an incredible sojourn that I'm asking everyone to join me. And you can, because all you gotta do is give a little love. And that's what really this is about. It's about no one will go broke giving love. It's about building community, creating connections and, and moving those who are apart from success to being a part of it in ways that benefit everybody. I love it. And we will give everybody information about how they can spread the love and join the movement, both in the show notes and at the end of the episode. But for those who are listening and wondering, wait, how is he talking about produce when he's also talking about this brick building in the center of the Bronx? Like, Tell, help help people envision what you've created there. Super. So right about 10 years ago, remarkably, is when I walked away from the Department of Education. And I just said, you know, in order to be the most impactful I can be, I need not have a job description or, you know, responsibilities that pull me from the work that I want to do. So we did a couple of things. I mean, I took a huge hit financially and a huge risk, but I was absolutely driven by passion, purpose, and hope. And again, a purpose mindset, you know, that something here could be much bigger if done right. And I need to kind of be let out of the box and take off some accountability. So we built out a board of directors and let me shout out the Green Bronx Machine Board of Directors who have been so instrumental in helping me learn how to scale this. Listen, I know what to do with children, but how do you manage an organization? How do you scale? How do you grow? How do you manage it is a whole different thing. But the first thing that we really wanted to do is focus on curriculum. Because I believe, you know, many people think, you know, I'm a farmer, I'm a gardener, I'm a salad guy. I'm some of that. But what I really am is an educator. And the most important thing that we grow is we grow high performing schools, schools that outperform their peer index neighbors by 10 percentage points on all of the key areas of school performance index. So it's really about quality of teaching and quality of learning. I just happened to find something 
that lens of entry, if you will, which is indoor gardening, which is totally cool because, you know, it could have been dance, it could have been ballet, it could have been chess or robotics. But the cool thing is in the communities that need healthy food the most, you can grow a copious amount of food. And every 30 days you have something you can sell, share, eat, give away. Um, and it's really important. Plus, you get tomatoes and strawberries. What could be better? Um, so we focused on whole school curriculum. And that was really our goal. And with partners, again, let me shout out Chris Stanley and Wobi that I met at Wobi. We were able to iterate this program to ensure that it was not a cult of me, but a cult of pedagogy. And we beta tested this in cities around the country and across the continent. And we spent two years ideating on every single thing that was possible with a low cost piece of technology, a tower garden in a classroom to see what could happen. And then we built a series of scoped and sequenced and fully differentiated whole school academic activities aligned to teaching reading, writing, math, science. So, you know, the children think they're coming to school to farm, but they're really coming to school to learn. What they're learning is they're learning everything they need to do in school under the pretense of farming. But it's really cool. You know, we've got ladybugs running around the school. We've got the most productive soil garden per square foot outside of our school in all of New York City in the middle of public housing with, I might add, soil that was generated by compost from the cafeteria. You know, we're at this perfect precipice in time where we have a great plant forward mayor. Um, we have a chancellor who is aligned to that work and really the ability to impact children in ways that we've never imagined. Because let me be clear, Shannon, in my 20 plus years of teaching, and I actually started teaching in 1984, the most important school supply in the world is food. And let me say that again. The most important school supply in the world is food because children will never be well-read if they are not well-fed. It's not computers, sure, that's a part of it, but it is really the ability to put fuel in children's bodies and minds that is going to equip them for success. The cold, harsh realities of our community is that, you know, three miles away, uh, same race, same ethnicity, there is a 15-year 15 15-year 15 discrepancy in life expectancy. You know, I just turned 60. And for those of you who are looking, this is what 60 looks like in the new South Bronx. Fit and trim, medication free, walking upright. So, the you know, the fact that we are the least healthy county in all of New York State begets so many other problems. Poor eating, poor learning, poor health, poor self-esteem, poor mental health. All of that is a very vicious cycle. And what do we know? We know that 80% of a child's health has to do with behavioral habits, not actual health care. So if we build happy, healthy children, children who are aligned to feeding themselves and taking better care of their bodies and their communities, we are growing resilience. And we're putting the need for all of those other nonprofit services to really become far more specialized and exacting. Because I don't want to be the salad guy. I don't want to be the garden guy. I want to be the whole school performance guy. And that should incorporate everything. Listen, a lot of the work that I'm doing is really rooted in policy. And again, kudos to Mayor Eric Adams for selecting me to the food transition team. I am honored and humbled to have a voice in his seat at the table and to represent my borough, perhaps one of the most mal, uh, you know, maligned, if you will, or misrepresented communities in the world. Um, as a model of what is possible, proves that we are the ones we're waiting for. And it's just a blessing. But let me be clear. Um, it's not me. It is we. 
I show up. I'm nothing more than a pencil. And the pencil simply exists to make a mark on paper. The hand that moves this pencil is passion, purpose, hope, and love. And the singular notion that showing up daily is very, very powerful. So much there. Thank you for that. And I I love the partnerships you're talking about and the way that you're thinking beyond the classroom, but that's where it starts. And it starts with the curriculum and the really thinking about how you're changing minds. And so you started this program by growing hydroponic plants in your classroom. And then what did the students do with those plants? How did you utilize them? So number one, they eat them, they sell them, they bring them home, they go home in backpacks. We have a program here where my third and fourth graders are growing microgreens, prescriptive microgreens for seniors who are recovering from cancer. And literally once a week, these children and are food insecure, I might add. So literally in communities like mine and many across the country, seniors are the eyes and ears of our community for so many reasons. The ability to create intergenerational programming is absolutely tantamount to community success. So when children realize that the seniors who they see and know and love daily are eating this food and getting better and can come back to school to be a volunteer or a reading partner or a crossing guard or someone who just greets them at the door, either at school or back home daily, is magnificent. You know, it's one thing for me and older people to sit there and tell children, eat healthy, eat healthy. Um, It's a whole nother thing when children are doing it themselves. And it's a whole nother thing when I tell my grandparents, you know, listen, my, my, my children's grandparents, not my own, you know, and I tell granny, listen, granny, less salt, less ham hocks, less fat. Granny wants to beat me with a cane. Listen, Mr. Steve, I love you, but don't tell me how to cook. But when their grandchildren go home and tell them, grandma, use less salt, use more garlic, use less fat. They tend to listen. And these little changes add up to big changes. And most importantly, in a community that has limited means and limited access to healthy, fresh food, when you can generate copious amounts of fresh food and give that food to the community, you're generating so much more. You know, we're generating voter registration. We're generating PTAs. We're generating school support teams. We're generating school leadership teams. You know, we have a fruit man in the school, a gentleman who delivers 1,500 pieces of fruit daily to every single kid and makes sure it goes home in a backpack. That's the kind of accountability that I love. Um, you know, during COVID, I will share with you an amazing story. We opened up the schoolyard, even though schools were closed, so that kids could get outside and play in a very safe and distant and responsible manner. So let me be clear about that. And it became a massive program. Kids came from everywhere. And I'll never forget in the middle of the summer, um, one new child said to me, oh, Mr. Ritz, it's so hot. Can you buy me a soda? And one of my students turned to this young man and said, asking Mr. Ritz to buy you a soda is like asking your mama for a cigarette. My job was done. Never ask Mr. Ritz for a soda. Ask him for water. Ask him for iced tea. Ask him for fruit infused water. But never ask Mr. Ritz, you know, for soda. That's the proof of community accountability that we want. You know, I sent you a link to a recent documentary, mini documentary by a food inspiration and Google that features the mayor and features our students and the harsh reality of our students' lives in in the inner city, not only here in the Bronx, but in cities across America is absolutely emblematic of problems that are facing cities and communities across the nation. The mental health crisis, the gun crisis, the violence crisis. So to hear kids call our classroom a sanctuary, that this is their favorite place to be, 
um, is absolutely heartwarming. On one hand, it's very tragic, but on the other hand, it's great that we can do this because if I can, you can, we all can. And that's the beauty, again, of, of the curriculum that we have. It's 100% turnkey. Uh, you know, it comes with an unlimited site license by design. It's inherently disruptive. You can order it online. You can get access to me. Uh, no annual fees, no tiered subscriptions, all of the things that are traditional revenue generators for nonprofits. We just threw out of the window and said, how do we blow this up, make it as accessible and sustainable and impactful for all? And the proof? It's in the pudding. And so what would people do, Stephen, who want to participate? They could donate so they could help the cause in the ways that you're already doing. They could buy the equipment and then do what with it? Oh, so there are a couple of ways you can get involved. And thank you for that, Shannon. Number one, please, if you're so moved by this mission, please feel free to visit the Green Bronx Machine donate page and make a donation. Sign up to become a monthly donor. Realize that during the pandemic, out of this classroom with small monthly donations, and I'm talking $20 a month, we were able to feed, we were able to move 150,000 pounds of food, fresh food into communities that needed it most. We were able to support 55 families. We were able to support 30, 30 homebound senior citizens. We sent home groceries each and every week. We trained 1,500 teachers. Um, so small monthly donations add up. If you're a parent or a corporation that's looking for a good CSR move or what to get this program involved in their own school, you can reach out to us and purchase our curriculum. We're always looking for board members, good corporate partners. Um, you know, we have created a network of connections here where children now have pen pals. We've been able to connect children with communities across the country and around the world. And to me, that's one of the most beautiful things ever. So there are so many ways to get involved. And, you know, you don't it's not about giving much. It's about giving love. And it's really about, you know, wanting to make a difference. So please get involved in some shape, manner or form. Sponsor a program. Sponsor a child. We have children here. We have a community farm that we built on an abandoned city street, which is the first place in New York City. These children have ever seen a rabbit, a garter snake, a butterfly. And they get out there. Um, you know, so we welcome all kinds of ad value relationships. We welcome board members. So please reach out to me. You know, we're very social. I promise I'll write you back. <laughs> yeah, it is true. You will and you do. So there's a couple of quotes that you are known for. And one of them, I know it's plastered around your walls. And it's just every every time I've heard you speak, I've heard you say it. So the si se puede, I'd love to hear you talk about that and the meaning of that and why that's so important to you. Well, si se puede means yes, we can. And, you know, originally and remarkably, I became aware of that saying during the Obama candidacy and the Obama presidency when President Obama was running for president. Um, it was a brilliant campaign slogan. And, and mistakenly, I attributed that to him, not knowing that the original author of the statement was actually Cesar Chavez, um, you know, from the United Farm Workers Movement. So it became even more profound to me. But I like to believe that we are Americans and not Americans. Um, so si se puede, yes, we can. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start in order to be great. And I collectively believe that the degree to which we resist any injustice is the degree to which we are all free. So justice, equity, inclusion, and purpose is at the heart of this work. And the goal is to make it as circular as possible. 
you know, I, I wound up if, you know, if you're looking for a good read, um, you know, you could always grab a copy of our book, The Power of a Plant, which went on to become a number one bestseller and 100 percent of the proceeds support the program. I think it is the only book in America that comes with a double your bunny back guarantee. If you don't like the book, if you don't love the book, I'll buy it back for twice the price and give it to someone else. Excellent. So tell me more about how this is a justice movement. Well, let's be clear. Food justice is racial justice. Who has access to what, when, where, why, and at what price determines everything. Decisions in communities like mine are made in far off places. You know, what's available in our community is is largely reflective of who's willing to provide what at what cost. But, you know, whole food, good food, healthy food should be a, a basic human right, particularly in the United States to think that the largest food distribution center in the world is literally 30 minutes from my school. And, you know, and, and the wallets and bellies of the affluent are filled on the hearts, backs, minds and lungs of children surrounding that community is absolutely abhorrent to me. So for me, it's about equity. Um, it, it, you know, cheap food is so damn expensive. It is killing us. And what have we learned? You know, we've had some great partnerships with corporations like Sodexo and Google. And we've learned that when you take away the burden of food insecurity from families who need it the most, what happens? Amazing things happen. Uh, social cohesion goes way up. Family cohesion goes way up. The amount of books and family time spent together go way up. Instead of standing online at a pantry or on a soup, you know, on a soup line, you know, children are going to the library. They're accessing free resources in their community. These are the kinds of things that really move children and generations out of poverty. And when you think about the war on poverty, you know, it is so failed because basically the only people who have benefited are corporations and nonprofits who continue to thrive on this dysfunction. So what we need to do is equip those who need it most what they need at the easiest access point so that everything else becomes, uh, you know, more attainable. And let me be clear, the greatest lever this nation has towards equity and democracy is public education. Uh, it really is, you know, what's fast is becoming faster and what's slow is really become slower. So the ability for children to be involved in school and compete with their peers across all levels, across all aspects of society, has never been more critical to ending the wealth and equity gap. So it's about time. And for us, you know, the best place to start is right here. And, you know, the work is hard. Let me be clear. The work is hard, but incredibly rewarding. Each and every day I go home with and my heart is full and um, my Joy doesn't give me gratitude. My gratitude gives me joy. And it's important to live in that space and own that space. And, you know, I fight. I fight for children who are born in places most people would not want to be caught dead in. I fight for children who often don't have a bedroom to call their own. I fight for children whose monsters are real. And this is America. I fight for children who don't get to see a dentist, who don't often have dinner, if not for school, who don't know what dessert is. You know, I fight for children who really most people don't even know about. And not only here, but globally. And again, the op this work is hard and it requires a great deal of courage. I, in my odyssey in the past 10 years, I've moved from a place of controversy and conflict, if you will, 
to collaboration and coalition, which I think has been my greatest learning. Um, so I'm a very content 60 year old because I feel I have more energy and more purpose and, and more more power than ever before because I've learned that people can't drink from a fire hose. And there's a lot to be angry about. Uh, you know, we could go into conversations about what's going on in this nation that, you know, no matter where you sit, on what side of the aisle, you have a lot to be concerned about. But, you know, the one thing that we have to do is continue to be courageous. And the opposite of courage is not cowardice. The opposite of courage is conformity. Because even a dead fish can go with the flow. And here in the South Bronx, we are not dead fish. My students and I, my children and I, and my community and I are determined to keep swimming and make epic happen. And it starts with school. It starts with impact. It starts with voice, belief, identity, and agency. And that's what this work is all about. Yes. And there's so much that you just said there that I want I want to ask you about. But since you said the word agency, it's a good segue to your shirt, the shirt that you're wearing. So since most of our listeners are just listening, talk to us about your shirt. And then I'd love to hear about your cheese hat. OK, so we start. I am wearing a shirt that says, be your own hero. And we started this campaign here in school. It's a fundraising campaign. You could also buy the shirt on the Green Bronx Machine website. But I want every child to be their own hero in a society that has commoditized, commoditized children to become little epicenters of profit. The most important child thing that the child can do is learn how to be their own hero. Does anybody really give a damn about the Kardashians? I sure don't. But, you know, we have celebritized food. We have celebritized sport. We have celebritized water. We have the official water of this, the official hot dog of that, the official breakfast cereal of this. And what we have learned is that when you give children agency to become their own brand, to become their own voice, to realize that they don't have to be a consumer of content, but can be a producer of content, they become their own little heroes. And we're seeing it time in and time again. Look, we launched a show in the middle of the pandemic with children. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a community that has literally scores of 20 and 30 foot industrial apartment buildings back to each other. And during the pandemic, when school was closed, I would sit in front of each building and read up to the windows on a rotating schedule. And the kids couldn't get enough of me and I couldn't get enough of them. And it was because of our agency, rather than tuning into other people's stuff, we created a show called Let's Learn with Mr. Ritz. And, you know, PBS picked it up. The children helped me write it. The children star. They're the voices. And we tour the neighborhood. We do these great events. And the show had two million views on PBS. Not bad for, you know, a teacher who basically has an AOL account and a VCR at home that says 12 o'clock with roll up windows. So when you go from consuming content to producing content, you change your relationship to your environment, to your to your ecosystem, and you learn how much we can affect change right where we are. So that so that's really part of what we do. Um, it's one little piece, but every drop fills the cup. Mm. You know, for me, I, my goal is to send the first cohort of children from the South Bronx to the Bronx High School of Science. And remarkably, this year, we had students test. We're still waiting to hear. So we are guardedly optimistic and excited. But again, this was something that never happened here before. So we're just getting started. And again, I want to thank my board, people who donate. And, you know, really, we are about as grassroots as grassroots can be. Ninety six percent of every single donation goes into programming or feeding the community. Um, you know, we have hired students out of poverty who are now here working after school, working with peers, working with elders. So um, 
It is definitely all about the 718, uh, which mm. is our area code. But again, we've taken off nationally. And it's really because we are scalable, we're replicable, and, and mm. we're low cost. Um, and we're determined to be disruptive. I love it. So one of the things that you're also known for is your cheese hat. So you're wearing a yellow hat. It's a Swiss cheese hat because there's holes in it. And I know that that's very symbolic to you. So what what can you tell our listeners about your cheese hat? Well, you know, the cheese hat has really evolved into something that I could have never imagined. Case in point, I recently, you know, celebrated my one millionth picture with children in a cheese hat. And, you know, no matter where I go, children, people, professionals, they love the cheese hat. But the cheese hat evolved, um, as you know, and I write about in my book, The Power of a Plant, I wound up after a monumental crisis in my own life, a huge tragedy, my wife and I losing a child. I took a job close to home and wound up working at a school that was just physically located closest to my apartment, just so I could circle the wagons around my immediate family. And I started this work in high school with overage, undercredited children. And I soon became the dean of students at a dysfunctional high school. To give you some context of how dysfunctional that high school was, that high school had a 17% graduation rate. That school had 256 felonies in a year. That school had 48 school safety agents and 18 armed police officers in a school building. It had a police precinct in a school building. This is school. Just look at that waste of resources. So as I started working with these children, um, the kids called me the big cheese. Um, number one, because uh, I was the dean of students. I was the guy who basically decided whether or not you were going to be taken home in handcuffs or given a second opportunity. And more often than not, I was doing that work with a slice of pizza and a 44-ounce soda in my hand. So what happened is when I started doing the farm work and transitioning, I wound up going from wearing a sheriff's badge, which was the big joke in school, to a farm hat. But I absolutely loathed the farm hat. Uh, it was sticky. It was itchy. It was moldy. That like, uh, I forget what that meant. What is it? That like straw? That straw was really itchy. It stunk. Um, but I wore it because people saw it and the kids got a big kick out of it. So it was in this, I think in 2013 that I went to go visit my dear friend, Jenny Seidel and Will Allen, uh, a hero of mine, uh, farmer Will Allen out in Wisconsin. And I get off the plane in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And right there, these cheese hats in like for the Green Bay Packers. And I'm not a cheese guy. I'm not a Green Bay, uh, I'm not a football guy per se. But I was like, the kids have been calling me the big cheese for years. And, uh, you know, I decided I'd start wearing the hat the cool thing is the hat has taken on a life of its own. You'll see in the mini documentary, the last two minutes are dedicated to why children think I wear the cheese hat and what it signifies. But literally, um, I have built a brand for myself with this stupid hat that transcends no matter where I go. People want to take pictures of me with it. It's a lens of entry. Um, right before COVID, it was my big intent to actually lose the hat. Look, I'm 60 years old. It's time to move on. Uh, let, let's find something a little more symbolic. But what happened is when I took off the cheese hat, I was able to use it as a talking point about COVID, basically saying the cheese hat was getting COVID tested. The cheese hat was getting its vaccination. Then when we were able to get children vaccinated, literally um, for children who got vaccinated and wanted to get vaccinated with their parents' permission, we were able to get thousands of children vaccinated for the privilege of wearing the hat. Um, you know, the cheese hat is... is 
you know, the green sheikh in the UAE has worn the hat. I've worn it to the White House. I've worn it in places you can't imagine. Celebrities uh, who I won't mention because they'll probably be resentful of it um, have worn the hat. So um, it's really become a blessing. It's become a trademark. Um, you definitely see me coming. And, and there's there's some value to that because in a tough day, in a challenged community, when you see a guy with big green shoes, a big smile and that cheese hat bopping up and down the hallway, you know something good is coming. And I am coming. And I'm coming from a place of love. I'm coming from a place of unity. And I'm coming from a place to how do we get to better? Um, because in a world that is driven by the cloud, I like to say my message is powered by the sun. And this hat represents the sun, a big smile on your face. But it's just remarkable how many kids really love the hat. They want to try it. They want to bite it. They want to taste it. They want to look. <laughs> um, you know, it's just become a big thing. Oh, I love it. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. I, I am deeply sorry about your loss and the way that you have leverage some of that pain into being so purposeful and being the sun and being the bright light that you are is just truly remarkable. And that whole be your own hero, be your own celebrity, you know, make your own content. Those are really important messages for our listeners. We always want to leave our listeners with something that they can do, a practical takeaway tip, an action that they could take. So what are some of the recommendations that you have for our generous leaders who listen to ROG? What are some of the ways that they could translate some of what you're doing, they can participate in your movement for sure. What are other transferable tips that you would offer them? I think, you know, and I'll go back to Wobi, wherever you go, there you are. So put your best two feet on the ground and stand up straight, seek the sun, seek the light and seek to nourish yourself in the best way possible. Um, you know, how'd I become 330 pounds? One pound at a time. How'd I lose that weight? one pound at a time. And, you know, I urge people each and every day in a world where you can be anything to be kind, to be kind to yourself, to each other, to the planet. Yeah, sometimes a hamburger sounds great, but when I think about all the inputs that go into it, maybe a banana sounds a little bit better. Um, you know, and again, I'm not the food police, but I just want people to make better decisions for their own health and for the sake of the planet. Um, you know, be kind. Put the phones down, put the social media down, find some time to be in love, to be still, to be quiet. These are things that, you know, I do each and every day. I may not do it enough, but I look forward to doing it more and realize that every drop fills the cup. You know, lots of people can do great big things. That's what people set out to do. But it's the small stuff daily that really adds up. Showing up is very powerful. Um, being consistent in what you do and what you say is very powerful. And again, no one will go broke giving love. So give love freely. And, you know, you're always going to get it back. But if you're wealthy, please give us a donation. Um, you know, because that would help too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So greenbronxmachine.org buy Stephen's books, The Power of a Plant, and Make It Happen. We didn't mention that in this episode, but there will be links to that in the show notes as well. Thank you for the good that you are doing in the world. Just thank you for being that light. I so deeply appreciate you and your time. Well, Shannon, thank you. Thank you for that flashback to my old card. That is just hilarious. And uh, to think this was 10 years in the making, you know, let it not be 10 years to the next making. So Absolutely. please, when you're in New York City, come on up. I've got a bunch of kids who would love to welcome you. 
Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.